Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a podcast providing in-depth analysis and coverage of your favorite Milwaukee Brewers by Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, our final episode, episode 42 of the season. Feels like a fitting number, 42, of course. Uh, David, excited to be here for our final episode of the season. Yeah, it's crazy. Our first full year of recording these podcasts and first full year of Brewers baseball. We did get the full year in 2021. We had 162 games plus a short four game postseason for the Brewers before their quick exit. But a lot more fun than the 2020 season. We weren't talking about whether the season was going to go on or not. And a, a, a more exciting brand of Brewers baseball. No uh, cleanup hitter Ryan Healy or playoff at bat David Freitas uh, appearances. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, the, I, I really did enjoy the Ryan Healy versus Jed Jerko breakdowns pre-2020 season. It was an interesting season to cover, both 2020 and 2021. Overall successful in that uh, Brewers course, getting the full season in, like you mentioned. And fun to be able to record this for the whole year. Like I said, 42 episodes. Uh, we appreciate all of you guys tuning in and listening. Um, just something that's fun that we're able to do, and we'll just continue to keep on doing. So, David, what's our trivia question for today's episode? Today's trivia question is, which current brewer was teammates with Hunter Renfro while playing at Mississippi State in college? Hunter Renfro, the recent Brewers acquisition, playing his baseball at Mississippi State back in college. Which current brewer was his teammate there? Yeah, I was just going to ask you to bring up uh, our refresher on Hunter Renfro because that trade almost, you forget about it with it being uh, right before the deadline uh, for the or when the lockdown started, or excuse me, lockout, not lockdown, uh, started. Um, I almost forget the trade even happened, uh, but we'll, as always, cover that answer to that trivia question at the end of the day. Uh, today, of course, not a lot of MLB news per the usual at the moment, uh, especially with Christmas going on and no winter meetings. When would the winter meetings have been? They were actually a couple weeks ago. They had the the minor league winter meeting still went on. So they had the minor league rule five draft, which we did co- cover in depth a couple weeks ago. But it really not much that went on. Uh, I think they were in Orlando actually. Um, but they were yeah they 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 were I think around December tenth. Got it. Exciting, very exciting stuff there. Mm-hmm. Minor league rule five draft. Uh, that really gets David out of bed in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> but today we'll be covering um, the a little bit delayed, but the uh, six selected for the MLB Hall of Fame via the the Veterans Committee. Uh, so we'll be breaking that down briefly, and then also continuing to construct our all time Brewers roster. As always, we will be sharing five new additional players, and then also um, just some. Quick news around Jonathan Lucroy, Ryan Braun, and Prince Fielder. So, David, do you want to jump into uh, what's new with Jonathan Lucroy and Ryan Braun? Yeah, the two of them were announced that they would be elected or inducted into the Brewers' Wall of Fame. So, that would be the players that are uh, commemorated with plaques outside of the the third base side at American Family Field. So, that's near the uh, the team store, the hot corner. So there are, I think, about 100 names, 100 players, and uh, famous Brewers personnel that are a part of that wall. And am I remembering correctly that that was Council's big idea during his time in the front office? That's my understanding that that, that, that is the case. And that the, the, uh, the wall of fame is basically just um, credential-based, I guess. Basically, uh, there are certain categories you have to meet. 
uh, and if you meet one of the categories, you are elected. So there's no voting. Just if you hit, uh, you hit. 100 home runs or uh, win a major award, different different uh, milestones like that. So, of course, Ryan Braun far eclipsing all of those milestones that would uh, allow him induction into this wall of fame. Yeah, Braun, Braun and Luke Roy being added. Think about the current players the Brewers have. A lot of those guys will be there. Of course, we've had a, a good Brewers team for a while. Corbin Burns winning the Cy Young, which gets him in. Devin uh, Williams yep. winning Rookie of the Year uh, merits induction for him Yeah, uh, whenever he retires. Yeah, and uh, Josh Hader, I would imagine, mm-hmm. based off his performance, Christian mm-hmm. Yelich, of course, the mm-hmm. MVP award. Um, so a lot of those guys who will, mm-hmm. I'm sure, uh, be there. Craig Council himself. Already actually a member. That's right. That's uh, right. I think Dan Vogelback for the, the walk-off Grand Slam off Alex much. Reyes. I think that was one of the one of the uh, categories. Uh, but the two of them are going to be inducted onto that wall of fame. Um and Prince Fielder will be inducted onto the Brewers Walk of Fame. So there are many different uh, names for these honors that they have, and unfortunately they all start with the letters W-A-L, either wall or walk. Um, they somehow have either fame or honor. Uh, I'm confused by them. I have to explain to myself pretty much every time what means what. But Prince Fielder will be inducted to the Walk of Fame, so that... Are, uh, involves the the home plates that are when you're walking around the outside, uh, the exterior of American Family Field. There'll be a home plate. It'll say like Gorman Thomas, 1973 to 1986, with the the signature and the the number. Uh, so Prince Fielder will get his own, and in order to be eligible for that, you have to receive enough votes from the local writers, and you also have to have been retired for. Um, I, I believe it's the minimum of uh, six years or five or six years. So Fielder uh, hitting that mark this year, and he's the first player to be inducted in a, a few years. Yeah, last one being Jeff Jenkins in 2018. There's 20 members, uh, Hank Aaron, Raleigh Fingers, Robin Yount, Paul Molitor, to name a couple. Uh, but it's interesting, Tom Hodgercourt, how many of you may have seen, tweeted out his ballot. He had a, a lot of players, personally a lot more than I would probably have, but was very generous. Kind of some interesting names, Dan Plezak. Ben Sheets, who is kind of surprising that he's not on there, um, given that he's one of the best Brewer starters of all time. Uh, Pete Vukovic, he even had on there. George Bamberger, which I thought was a little bit of an interesting one. I'm not sure the the case for a George Bamberger going on the <laughs> going on the the walk of walk of fame, walk yeah. of honor. Yeah, walk like of you said, fame. they're they're a little bit confusing, but. Anyways, nonetheless, Prince Fielder being inducted to the Brewers Walk of Fame, which I think was fitting. Um, He did have a big piece in Milwaukee history um, as that big first baseman, and actually that leads us right into constructing our all-time Brewers roster. Prince Fielder on that team uh, in that DH role. So David took the liberty of selecting a DH, uh, the first baseman of the team still to be announced. You can probably guess who that might be, uh, given that we've got Prince Fielder in the DH spot. Fielder drafted seventh overall by the Brewers straight out of high school in Florida. Big power hitting first baseman. You don't see uh, a big power hitting high school prospect drafted um, in the top 10 very often anymore, but turned out well for the Brewers. Uh, Had about 24 career baseball reference wins above replacement. Like I said, big piece in the Brewers uh, run there. Um, and also had 18 career stolen bases, which is also to note. Um, he was, you know, you, a lot of the, the big guys 
are often slow, not surprisingly, but they also kind of just don't try and therefore are even slower. Fielder was not one of those guys. He, he, he certainly, did try. Yeah, he definitely tried. The anti-Johnny Estrada. Yes, that's a that's a better way to put it uh, than the way I tried. Uh, and we were even actually doing a, a, tr- a baseball trivia game today. Came across a stat about Prince Fielder and his father, Cecil Fielder. Prince Fielder ending his career with 319 home runs. That spread across his time with the Brewers, Detroit, and the Rangers. Cecil Fielder, his father again, ended his career with exactly 319 home runs. So if you didn't know that stat, um, you can fact check that if you'd like. I didn't exactly believe it when I first heard it. Pretty crazy stat um, for two power hitting uh, big bats in Major League history. And Fielder was a six-time All-Star, like I said, an anchor in the Brewers lineup. Never hit over 300 with the Brewers. I know that was something that he always had a goal of. And then his first year in Detroit, yeah, it's over 300. Right, that was that was kind of funny um, because I know in 2009 he batted 299. Uh, 2011, he batted 299, and then, like you said, 2012, hit 313 in Detroit. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, good bat um, all around, both for the Brewers <clears throat> and that big deal that he got in Detroit. Yeah, uh, the unfortunate uh, neck injuries that shortened his career, but still an outstanding career uh, with primarily the Brewers, but also later Detroit and Texas. Uh, definitely well accomplished, and he is on the Hall of Fame ballot actually for this year. Yeah, we'll see if he gets some votes. The other thing I even noticed, 2009, 2011, 2012, 2013. So for a three-year stretch from 11 to 13, he did not miss a game, 162 games from 2011 to 2013. And in, uh, so basically, from well, really from 2009 to 2013, he missed one game, which is just ridiculous. Uh, part of that time being with the Brewers, part of that being with Detroit. Um, he also had, the, of course, the 50 home run season in 2007, uh, which led the league. He also led the league in... In RBIs with 141 in 2009. Um, so really had some good years. Like I said, uh, multiple all-star appearances and one of the best bats uh, in Brewers history. So he takes a spot as a starting DH. Uh, David, who do you have on the next spot on the roster? Well, another player that we have mentioned before already on this episode, and that's Mr. Ryan Braun, uh, none other than the former MVP Rookie of the Year, former middle-of-the-lineup the partner along with Fielder, uh, and somebody who is, of course, well-accomplished, well-documented as one of the greats in Brewers franchise history, even with much of the off-the-field baggage that comes alongside uh, the, the, uh, the career of Ryan Braun. I uh, was thinking earlier about how he slugged 634 in his rookie year, which I know at the time at least was a was a rookie record. Not sure if that still stands right now with uh, some of the juice balls that are coming, the increased emphasis on power, but really impressive. He also had 34 home runs and 97 RBIs in less than 500 plate appearances, so he didn't even qualify and he hit over 30 home runs and almost 100 RBIs. Outstanding rookie year. Uh, maybe we can forget about the defense that he provided at third base. Uh, but he was he was excellent throughout his career. Uh, of course, retires as the Brewers' all-time home run leader, 352. Won the 2011 MVP. Finished runner-up to Buster Posey in 2012 as well, when he had a 987 OPS and hit 319. And during the uh, more of the decline phase, was still a pretty productive hitter, uh, running an OPS plus over 100 every single year of his career. Uh, and even as as recently as 2019, slugging over 500, he's somebody who, uh, with his uh, six-time uh, All-Star, uh, six-time All-Star appearance, five-time Silver Slugger, Rookie of the Year MVP, 
Uh, clearly one of the greats. No competition, really, for Ryan Braun uh, as a starting left fielder on our all-time Brewers team. Yeah, absolutely. And we've already talked about Ryan Braun, Prince Fielder, another player that uh, played alongside both of those players and had a significant impact behind the dish, Jonathan Lucroy, uh, who comes in at the roster. Lucroy had an interesting career, uh, seven years with the Brewers, um, kind of a slow start, late bloomer, didn't have a lot of expectations. I remember him coming up, uh, you know, I don't know, similar expectations to Carlos Corporan. Um, it seemed like an even... Maybe more of an Angel Salome comp. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Mar- Martin, Martin Maldonado, think about what he's actually mm-hmm. been able to do. Um, ironically, he's actually had a better career leaving after leaving Milwaukee than Lucroy, which is very surprising. Um, I think if you would have asked most Brewer fans. But anyways, uh, Lucroy, seven years with the Brewers, um, ended up kind of bouncing around after that two years Texas, and then played a year with, a uh, year or partial year, Colorado, Atlanta, <laughs> Boston, Oakland, Angels, uh, Cubs, and then finally the Nationals. So he's been around the game since then. Uh, more of kind of a platoon backup catcher at this point. But I don't want to gloss over the years that he had with the Brewers. Two-time All-Star. 2014, he batted 301 uh, again as a catcher. Um, 2012, batted 320. Didn't have, you know, basically had a couple of years where he was the starting catcher. Um, and I think depending on if you look at baseball reference war and fan graphs war, it's a huge difference because of the framing numbers, which, David, I know you've mentioned before. So baseball reference has got him at around 18. Um, I think fan graphs has him nearly doubled. 35. Yeah. Uh, fan graphs actually has him as the, the fourth best player in franchise history, according to war. Yeah, that is a huge difference. Really interesting, um, the, the, the difference in that. But Lucroy, a career 274 hitter. Uh, with 548 RBIs, a 335 on-base percentage, and even including uh, his more declining years, career OPS plus of 102. So he's an above-average hitter, um, and again, he's a catcher. Uh, I know he's played a little bit of first base now. And uh, an excellent defensive catcher in his prime. Uh, with that, uh, so he was his his butt was always like two inches from the ground. I don't know how yeah, like his knees like, did that for like yeah. three years straight. It's probably just like an hour of hip flexibility before each game. Sounds like a lot of fun, but uh-huh. anyways, Luke Roy, yeah. like I said, seven year stint with the Brewers, uh, really was one of those stars alongside Braun, um, alongside even Fielder for some time, Gomez, a uh, staple in Milwaukee, and had a great great career uh, for the Brewers, and that's why we've got. Uh, Jonathan Lucroy as one of the two Brewers catchers. Yeah, also career uh, zero wins and one loss against luggages all time. Yeah, uh, with the uh, unfortunate injury in in 2012. Also as the uh, tied for the most doubles in a single season by a catcher with uh, 46. He had 53 that year, 46 of them as a catcher, and that year he did finish actually fourth in the MVP voting. Outstanding year. Yeah, that's right. He, uh, hit 301 and was worth like four wins for his framing. Yeah, just crazy stuff. Jonathan Lucroy, our starting catcher in the Brewers' all-time roster. And David, who do you have next? Next up is another recent member of the Brewers and current member. Uh, one of, I think, just two current members of the Brewers on this list, and that's Josh Hader, who's uh, just 27 years old, five years in the big leagues, uh, but his his worst year was a, a 3.79 ERA where he struck out about one and a half batters an inning. So not too bad if you ask me. Finished seventh in the Cy Young a few years back, three-time All-Star, um, although I'm sure he'd like to forget about uh, one of those All-Star appearances. But he has a career 2.26 ERA. 
He struck out 482 batters in just 282 innings, three-time Trevor Hoffman reliever of the year. Starting to think maybe they'll have to rename it the Josh Hader Award with the amount of times that he's been winning that award. We have him actually as our closer. We think he is the greatest reliever in franchise history, or at least close game, game on the line. Turn the ball to Josh Hader. I'd, I'd take him over, uh, really over anyone, except maybe maybe Francisco Cordero. Pete, uh, Pete Cordero Pete with Cordero. 2006. I don't know, Solomon Torres, that was a good one too. Yeah, or maybe that uh, that one week in June that Derek Turnbow uh, was, <laughs> was his peak, <laughs> was at his peak. Yeah, he went, what, two innings, two runs, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 I think so. only four walks too. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I think like you said, if there's one guy in Brewers franchise history, you know, tie game or one run lead going into the ninth, who do you want to give the ball to? It's no doubt it's it's Josh Hader, and we already talked about Dan Plezak, um, who's you could make the case one of the two guys as the best relievers. Plezak had greater longevity than Hader has had, but not nearly as dominant. I don't know if anybody has been as dominant as Hader has been to start a career as a reliever. Um, I, I think. Back to maybe our role as Chapman comparison, or you've brought up even the other friend, not Francisco Cordero, but Francisco Rodriguez, K Rod, of course, as we know him. Uh, maybe similar starts to their career, but uh, besides, I think Chapman, I think that's about what, who you could compare his start to his career, if that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one one of the uh, the great all time starts to a relief career. Uh, we've seen the increased emphasis on relief pitchers, uh, but he's throwing. He's, he was throwing 75, 80 innings a year earlier on in his career. Uh, actually, I, I, I forget this. 2020, he led the majors in saves, uh, so that was his worst year, and he led led the league in saves still. Uh, and this year was at least inning for inning his best year. 1.23 ERA was worth 3.4 wins above replacement, and really just the uh, the home run he allowed to Freeman being basically the only mistake he made all year. Really, I mean honestly, uh, it was unbelievable the performance he had this year. You talk about a dominant guy. You talk about some teams. You know, you'll hear players say, "Oh, we know that when we give that guy the ball in the ninth, the game's over." Uh, there's no one better than that, um, or where that's more true than it is for Josh Hader this year and really his whole career. So excited to see what he can do. We'll see, of course, what happens if he will stay a brewer for life or how that'll play out. He'll likely, we've talked about also potentially getting the largest relief pitching contract in history, and I believe that's in two years, correct? Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with Hader, but no doubt he's been one of the best, and that's why we've got him slotted in the closer role in our all-time Brewers roster. Final player here today, uh, going way back to the 70s and 80s, a name that is likely familiar to a lot of Brewers fans, Mike Caldwell, of course, part of that 1982 Brewers team, started his career with the Padres in 71, uh, went, hopped over to the Giants, Cincinnati, before settling in with the Brewers uh, in 1977 through 1984. Uh, so eight years with the Brewers, like I mentioned, on that 82 team, 82 team, a 3.81 career ERA across 2,400 innings, and also having that big complete game shutout in the World Series as well. Yeah, he uh, he had his best year coming in, in 78 when he had a 2.36 ERA in 293 innings. Uh, don't think that's going to be replicated by uh, another Brewer anytime soon. 23 complete games that year. Don't think that one's going to be going to be replicated anytime soon either. Corbin Burns got to uh, 100 pitches, not even 23 times this year. Uh, Caldwell was probably going up on about 170 pitches. Uh, also, was probably throwing like 83 miles an hour. Uh, but he was he was outstanding for uh, for the Brewers. Ended up pitching eight years with a 3.74 ERA and threw a complete game shutout in uh, game one. 
one of the 1982 World Series, the 10 nothing route of the Cardinals, probably uh, the, uh, the, the pinnacle of, of Brewers baseball, Brewers history, being that uh, game one of the World Series. Uh, one of the one of the best starting pitchers in Brewers franchise history. Hopefully, after this run of uh, good Brewers starters, we'll have some uh, new and better names to replace uh, someone like Mike Caldwell, but still a very a very good career and someone that deserves recognition for uh, maybe not someone who uh, not not a career where he is a, a Hall of Famer or considered an all time great, but someone who is a, a very good pitcher for many years, innings eater, uh, good lefty, good solid dependable lefty who could uh, take the ball every five days or four days maybe in that. Two era. days. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, give you everything he had for 195 pitches. Fair enough, pretty much. And Caldwell in that number three spot, we've we've got Teddy Higuera in number two, Caldwell three, Jim Slayton number four. We've still got one and five in that starting rotation to release. Um, actually, we're far through the roster. We've got, like I said, those two starters, two relievers, couple of handful of infielders and we've got our manager of the team as well that will be releasing as we continue forward any other final thoughts on today's uh nominees or um players announced before we jump into the hall of fame well i actually didn't realize quite how uh how absurd the numbers for hater were until uh looking taking another look at uh at at the the, uh, the the greatness, I guess, of, of Josh Hader yeah, uh, throughout I, his young career. I really think he's on a Hall of Fame track. I, relief pitchers are weird. We, we mm-hmm. talked up, talked about this with K-Rod and Joe Nathan, Billy Wagner, Trevor Hoffman, all those players, Lee Smith. It's just sort of been the probably the most, I would say, just odd position that's been a little bit confusing. So I don't know what Hall of Fame looks like and a guy like Hader, uh, especially if he weren't, weren't to be in the more traditional closing role, that would probably be a little bit even more blurry. Um, in, in that, but I, I really think he's on a Hall of Fame track. The, obviously, the question is how long he can continue to play at this level or at a similar level. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But nonetheless, a six selections made by the Veterans Committee, which is pretty unprecedented. We had Minnie Mignoso, Gil Hodges, Tony Oliva, Jim Cott, and two from the early baseball era: Buck O'Neill and Bud Fowler. David, I know we talked about this uh, on a previous podcast, uh, that's been a couple months ago, who your picks were. I remember specifically Buck O'Neill was a guy you liked, Tony Oliva, Mignoso, um, I believe, as well. Um, obviously all good players, but your immediate thoughts on those six selections. Yeah, I'm, these are a lot of players that have been on ballots before. In fact, uh, Gil Hodges for him was a 35th time the charm. His, uh, apparently he was was not worthy of an enshrinement 34 times, uh, and now finally gets his uh, his dues, uh, inducting uh, being inducted into Cooperstown. He had a, a great great career with the Brooklyn Dodgers, and uh, one of the difficulties with someone like him is he missed some of his peak years due to military service in World War II. How do you uh, weigh that? Do you penalize him for it? Um, it it's just kind of a, a murky situation, especially with someone who's uh, kind of on the border, on the verge, uh, but some, some well-deserving candidates that were elected. Minnie Mignoso, one of them, he started his career in the Negro Leagues, and actually with the Negro Leagues officially being elevated to Major League status in the, the stat books, he was pushed over 2,000 hits, which is a pretty big um, accomplishment considering that 2,000 hits is essentially the threshold for uh, for or kind of the uh, the entry point for being a Hall of Fame position player. Um, 
how just how the uh, inductions have uh, have shaken out over the the more recent years. Tony Oliva, somebody who was outstanding for uh, the Twins, and and Buck O'Neill, a guy who's one of the most well loved baseball people uh, around the game and kind of an ambassador for the Negro Leagues and started the Negro League Museum out in Kansas City and helped, has helped the uh, the legacy of the Negro Leagues live on uh, a well-deserved election or induction for Buck O'Neill as well. Yeah, Mini Minoso specifically, I was just taking a look at, at, at him, unfortunately passing away in 2015, so he has now passed, but pretty cool picture as I was looking up some information about him, seeing a photo of him uh, at, what is it, U.S. Cellular Field um, in Chicago, picture of him and Jose Abreu, uh, Minoso, c- coming from Cuba, uh, born in 1925, um, but coming over in the 40s to think about the the differences and, unfortunately, similarities um, between Cuba and the U.S. in the 1940s versus now. Uh, but cool to see a player like him, 13-time All-Star, uh, th- three-time Gold Glover, um, and like you said, maybe a bit of a kind of a fringe player, 54 wins above replacement, um, but over 2,000 hits, just a hair under 300 career batting average. A uh, very good player overall. Uh, I was happy to see a player like him inducted. I think you already talked on Buck O'Neill. I think that was well overdue. I'm not sure um, as to why it took him that long to get in, um, but glad he was able to um, get in as well, of course, after he passed as well. And then finally, Gil Hodges, That, like you said, that military service is really a tough one. You know, do you penalize him? Do you count it as a plus um, for the, the moral or ethical value of him choosing to sacrifice peak peak years, peak earning years um, as well to go sacrifice. Or was he drafted into the military where he really didn't have a choice as was the case with many of the players in that era. He also, in 1951, uh, led the league with uh, 99 strikeouts. Uh, So uh, uh, times have changed a little bit. No longer is 99 leading the league. In fact, it is usually uh, on the opposite end, maybe one uh, one of the best and he had 19 sack flies in 1954. I think that's the most in a single season ever also. Uh, kind of an interesting note. Uh, but he uh, uh, he was a, an all-star every year from 49 to 55. Was part of that Brooklyn Dodgers team that won a World Series in 55 and uh, played alongside many Hall of Famers. Pee Wee Reese, of course, Jackie Robinson being the most prominent. You've got Duke Snyder uh, on that, those teams as well. Um, so kind of the uh the a little bit maybe not the superstar the uh the best one but the really consistent power hitting first baseman that was just a steady presence in the lineup for Hodges and his widow is actually still alive she's 96 years old and she was sitting in her home and was able to celebrate the occasion even though Hodges who uh passed away actually while he was still the manager of the Mets he won a World Series as a manager of the Mets back in 1973 from a heart attack so he is he has been dead for 50 years uh and his widow was able to celebrate his uh induction into Cooperstown uh, just this year. That is really cool. I, I have to ask, was she was she on Zoom? Like, did they have the uh, Corbin Burns Cy Young Award where they got all the candidates on Zoom and then they interview her quick? Or yeah, I, I don't <laughs> think she could figure out any of the uh, the newfangled technology. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, good good names. Gil Hodges, Minnie Mignoso, 
Again, Tony Oliva, Jim Cott, Buck O'Neill, and Bud Fowler all being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Again, an unprecedented six players selected. We're talking a lot about players from the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Uh, kind of bodes well into our final topic here. We started a Brewers history lesson of professional baseball, part one, on our last podcast a couple weeks back. Uh, today covering Milwaukee Braves uh, era from 1953 to 1965. I think everybody knows the uh, 1957 year, but maybe not as much of the before and after. Uh, so, David, why don't you take it away here as we just take a brief history lesson uh, on this time era. Yeah, so we left off with County Stadium being uh, finalized to be, to be uh, officially built, and they decided to have it built in uh, the, I guess I don't even know what the region is called now, um, the Story, Story Hill, I think is what it, what it is called. So it was built, and going into the 1953 season, the, the minor league brewers were going to use the stadium, but the city really didn't want them to use it because they wanted it built for a major league team. So a couple years prior, an uh, owner named Lou Perini, uh, owner of the Boston Braves, decided to buy the Milwaukee Brewers, a minor league team, which uh, subsequently allowed him territorial rights over the region of Milwaukee. So this allowed him to move the team to Milwaukee without being blocked. And in fact, if he hadn't done that, Bill Veck would have actually probably moved his St. Louis Browns to Milwaukee. Uh, he wanted to, but Lou Perini blocked the move. So uh, Perini could move his Braves to Milwaukee a couple of years later. So going into 53, the Brewers, uh, excuse me, the Braves arrived and were very successful off the bat won 92 games, coming off a year where they won 64, finished second in the National League, and drew 1.8 million fans, a National League record at the time, coming to a new new city and very successful. Uh, some people even say that they, they were kind of unsustainably good at the start, where then fans almost got spoiled and were unable to uh, keep up with how good they were. They Then when they started to go into a little bit of a period of decline, uh, the fans were just a lot less interested, and perhaps that is the case, but uh, them being so successful in the beginning was uh, sort of the setup for one of the most successful teams in Major League history, the Milwaukee Braves. They never had a losing season. They drew over 2 million fans numerous times. They were the first team ever to do that, and this was back when teams were drawing south of 1 million fans in a, in a season. They had the great Henry Aaron, one of the all-time greats, Eddie Matthews, a Hall of Famer, Warren Spahn, the winningest left-handed pitcher in Major League history. So this kind of set up uh, some of the the great teams of the late 50s. Henry Aaron debuted in 1954. They won 89 games that year. Uh, Charlie Grimm, we, we talked about him last last episode, the former Brewers manager known as Jolly Charlie, um, the uh, uh, the uh, unforgettable Jolly Charlie, uh, was able to lead them to a couple second place finishes, but they felt like it wasn't enough. They decided to bring on Fred Haney, uh, known as the old, uh, the uh, more of the army sergeant, the... Um, I guess uh, kind of the the guy who will 
instill fear in his players and uh, work kind of work them hard, especially in spring training. The Jolly Charlie doesn't it doesn't exactly. I don't get Army Sergeant vibes from no. from a guy who goes by Jolly Charlie. Uh, but yeah, interesting to see that they decided to let him go. Um, like you said, after a rather successful tenure, like you said, when you say finishing second, of course we think to you know the current divisions we have now, but that was among a division of eight teams as well. So really successful seasons upper 80s uh, in wins, even won 92 um, wins in, was that 1956? Uh, that was the year where Jolly Charlie uh, was swapped out uh, for Haney. And then, of course, 1957. I'll let you take that from there. Yeah, the the expectations were high for the Braves going into 57. And Fred Haney essentially set them on a, a program where uh, they would basically um, have their uh, their their lives, I guess, uh, kind of controlled by Haney. So going into spring training, they had very intense drills. Uh, a lot of the players didn't like it, uh, but they found themselves getting significantly better in the earlier parts of spring training, not slacking off as much, and certainly paid off as they were able to get off to a hot start and play pretty well earlier on in the year. Yeah, I'd love to know what those what those drills were. Was all, all uh, jumping those, yeah, jumping I think until failure was uh, was one of the main ones. Yeah, or uh, was it Rod Carew would uh, like bench press like a ten pound dumbbell or something uh, like that? Uh, he would curl thirteen pounds. Uh, got got a little bit of that power coming in. Um, so yeah, apparently uh, the cutting edge uh, strength program from Fred Haney. Uh, I think it uh, was a, a steady diet of uh, cigarettes also, um, and, and I think they said what sugar is a necessary part was a big thing in the 50s. Uh, so what, whatever that was, apparently it was better than what they were doing. I don't think they were doing any Bulgarian split squats or uh, <laughs> Copenhagen side planks Probably uh, not, out in no. Bradenton, which uh, where their their spring training facility actually still stands and is in use of the uh, by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, it's been around for uh, almost a hundred years. Wow. Um, so uh, they went into the season high expectations, were expected to win the pennant, and they were able to do just that. Henry Aaron uh, hit a walk-off home run late in September to clinch the pennant for them. Uh, Bud Seeley calls that one of the uh, the most fond memories he has in his in his life in his baseball life. And it set up a meeting for them with the mighty New York Yankees, uh, the uh, kind of the David versus Goliath, the big market Yankees. Casey Stengel, former uh, Brewers manager, minor league Brewers manager, said uh, that it was like going to Bushville. Um, Bushville meaning it's a minor league town. This isn't this isn't a big league town. And he was not too fond of the city of Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's been a minor league city for decades at this point. Really hadn't been able to hold uh, a major league team. And then, you know, just four or five years into the Brewers, or excuse me, the Braves moving to Milwaukee, they make an appearance in the World Series, like you said, against the big bad New York Yankees. Uh, we all know how that ended. But any thoughts on that seven-game series that the Braves were able to beat out the Yankees in? Well, uh, Eddie Matthews hit a walk-off home run in, um, I think it was Game Six, um, and uh, he was a key member of the of the series. Also, the the shoe polish game was one where, uh, actually, I, I believe it, it started the rally that led to the Matthews home run, 
and it was a, a ball that hit the shoe of Braves pinch hitter, and I, I forget his name now. His name is escaping me, but uh, he convinced the umpire that it hit the ball that the ball hit his shoe because he said, "Look at the ball. There's the shoe polish. Look, the shoe polish was taken off my shoe," and he was able to prove it. He was awarded first base. Braves ended up rallying and winning that game, putting themselves in a position uh, to end up winning the World Series. Lou Burnett threw three complete games, two shutouts. Uh, him and his uh, his spitball. Uh, that he, um, we'll say it was legal because he uh, he wasn't caught, uh, so he was able to use it. Uh, apparently, Whitey Ford was a big big user of the the shine ball. Uh, he would he would call it. So the Braves were able to uh, to win that World Series, and going into '58, looking to repeat, and had about equally as good of a year. Uh, won 92 games, won the pennant, and faced the big bad Yankees once again. But unfortunately, they fell four to three in the World Series, and uh, were unable to repeat as World Series champions. 1959 uh, only won uh, 84 games in the regular season, uh, but it tied them for the league lead. They played a three-game playoff with the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, for to decide who would represent the National League in the World Series. And they just came out flat. They lost in three games. Uh, they should really have probably won it and won the pennant. And it really led to their demise because as a result, then expectations were a little bit lower the following year. And they did win 88 games still, uh, but their attendance started to fall. It fell from about 1.8 to 1.5 million, which was followed by an even greater decrease in attendance. Uh, the city of Milwaukee said no more beer carry-ins at County Stadium, which potentially contributed to the drop in attendance. That's a theory that I know is out there. And uh, next week, we're going to continue talking about the demise, what led to the Braves leaving Milwaukee, uh, and, and what happened after baseball uh, when, when there was no major league team in Milwaukee uh, in, the, in the late 60s. Yeah, it is really interesting to see that attendance uh, kind of rise up and then dip, peaking in 57. And even after actually the, the World Series uh, win in 57, uh, dropping in 58, 59, 60, 61, and just, just continuing on uh, until the, they eventually did move out. Kind of interesting, 1961, like you said, that they had that attendance drop from 1.5 to 1.1. That was a team with Hank Aaron, who had a 9.5 win season that year. Um, so there was plenty to watch. There was It was a, a, a fun team. Uh, to, to go watch at County Stadium. You think about that 61 team, you've got four Hall of Famers, Hank Aaron, Eddie Matthews, Warren Spahn, Joe Torre on that team, uh, Blue Burdett, Joe Adcock, plenty of talent on that team, so no reason for them to have issues. And again, just winning the World Series in 57, even Del Crandall, uh, who special shout out, I remember getting a, his autograph through the mail several years ago, uh, former Brewers, uh, Braves player and Brewers manager, uh, Crandall. So there, there was a lot of talent, um, so surprising to, to see that that attendance dip like that. Um, and like David said, we will pick up where we left off here today on our uh, next episode covering, again, professional baseball history in Milwaukee. We'll also be bringing on a guest um, upcoming in the next couple of episodes um, as well as we continue to grow the podcast. So David, uh, what are your final thoughts here today before we head out? Well, I've got to go over the trivia question once again. wanted to remind our listeners uh, which current brewer was teammates with Hunter Renfro while playing baseball at Mississippi State? What is your answer on that, Peter? Mississippi State, uh, that automatically leads me to say Brandon Woodruff. 
That is correct. Brandon Woodruff, also an alumnus of Mississippi State. Uh, I was looking at some of the colleges the Brewers players attended. Uh, lots of variants. We see uh, some smaller programs. Jace Peterson at uh, McNeese State. Corbin Burns at St. Mary's College out in Northern California. Uh, we've also got some uh, some of the more mainstream ones. I mean, even Woodruff was a third-round pick of the Rangers out of high school. Ended up going in the 11th round after his, his third season at Mississippi State. Uh, and wasn't actually that successful in college. And certainly it paid off for the Brewers to uh, select Woodruff in the 11th round. Uh, probably the best 11th round pick in uh, Brewers history uh, with that selection with Woodruff out of Mississippi State. Uh, it's kind of interesting, uh, Renfro being teammates with Woodruff and kind of kind of reveals the uh, the way that uh, almost kind of all baseball players are connected in some way. They play so many <clears throat> summer teams, high school teams. Uh, Nolan Arenado and Christian Yelich were on the same uh, high school travel team. Uh, you know, I, I think I've heard an announcer say that uh, it was Matthew Stafford and Clayton Kershaw went to the same high school. Yes, just <laughs> just a few times we've heard that. I mean, even I think about my brief playing career, which is brief compared to uh, many of these players, and only a uh, partial college playing career. Uh, even all the players that I ran into, of course, most of those players not going anywhere. Um, but yeah, you just there's so many so many different connections uh, across all the different players. So Hunter Renfro, Brandon Woodruff being reunited here in Milwaukee. So again, as we wrap up today's episode, again, we gave up uh, five of our uh, new all-time roster. We'll be continuing to do that as we continue through the offseason. Jonathan Lucroy, Ryan Braun added to the Brewers Wall of Honor. Prince Fielder, a pretty high honor, being inducted into the Brewers Walk of Fame. And then again, an unprecedented uh, number six elected into the Hall of Fame Mini Mignoso, Gil Hodges, Tony Oliva, Jim Cott, Buck O'Neill, and Bud Fowler. And then finally, uh, just going through a Brewers history lesson, part two, uh, Milwaukee Braves, uh, kind of the golden years, I guess you could call it, uh, 1957 world champions, of course, as we all know. We will, like I said, we'll continue our deconstructing our um, Brewers all-time roster, our Brewers history lesson, and we will be having um, some additional guests coming on uh, as well as we kind of just uh, twiddle our thumbs, wait for uh, the lockout to continue and hopefully end soon as we approach next year. Again, episode 42 here, the close of our season. Uh, we want to thank all of you listeners for tuning in regularly to listen to our podcast and ramble about all sorts of brewers and Braves even shenanigans today. So we want to thank all of you. And as always, we will sign off with Go Brewers! Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. We would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love if you would be willing to support our podcast financially. And you can find the link to do that down below in the episode notes through the Anchor app. Be sure to check out our blog at bleedingblueandyellow.wordpress.com where you can find great articles and content there. And interact with us at Brewers Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks for listening and see you next week.